Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Kimberly Bolton, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, look, it's a pleasure. The pleasure's all ours. How are you, Jeremy? Mate, I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? Oh, just living the dream and keeping it real. Now, Jeremy, um, you haven't met Kimberly before, but and I actually only met Kimberly for the first time a couple of weeks ago. We were both at the Climate X conference in Sydney, and uh, I bumped into Anita uh, Colony from Ocean Lovers Festival, and she said, you've got to talk to Kimberly Bolton. So I, I got myself over there and I was I was pretty I was pretty amazed. I has to has to be said. It takes a lot to impress me and I was impressed. <laughs> that's that's not true. That's, that's not true. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I was impressive. <laughs> it, it, it was super exciting. And look, we're gonna be talking about I guess alternatives to single-use plastics. But look, uh, for those who don't know Kimberly, uh, and uh, includes Jeremy, <laughs> Kimberly is the co-founder and CEO of Carapac. We always love to get a backstory, but I, I think we probably should start by asking, what is Carapac? Yes. So Carapac has developed a range of plastic alternatives for single-use plastics, and we're calling it a shrimple soft solution because we've developed a range of different types of plastic films made from crustacean shell waste. So prawns, crabs, lobsters, shrimp, the shells that people don't eat from those crustaceans, we can take that actual food waste and make it into beautiful what looks and feels and works like plastic. But it's actually a very a shrimp or soft solution. And then once people are done with it, it is very quickly biodegradable and compostable and actually adds a lot of benefit in the soil when it does break down and it's also ocean dissolvable. I'm well keen to listen about this technology. I think it's amazing. And there's a few of them cropping up, so I'm definitely keen. But I sense a bit of a South African accent there. Whereabouts are you from? Yes, nailed it in one. I'm from Johannesburg. Joburg, fantastic. Yeah. I uh, I was lucky enough 10 years ago to spend a bit of time through your beautiful country. My godfather lives in Joburg. I uh, went down, did, uh, did a little bit of Cape Town, Durban. I went I went right around the place. It was uh, very Beautiful. Magical. Uh, I like to call it a high risk, high reward sort of country. Yeah, 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 true, true, true. true. How long have you been out for? I've been in Australia for about five and a half years now. 
which is pretty wild to me. I feel like it's flown, but absolutely love it here. We should dive into this backstory. So, yeah. look, how does this all begin? So, you've come up with this whiz-bang wonderful idea to help us solve the plastic crisis. And, look, people are familiar on this show with the plastic crisis. We talk about it all the time, but we love talking about solutions. So, but the backstory, how does this all begin, Kimberly? How did you become interested in plastic pollution and, and trying to solve it? Well, growing up, I was always almost an, an avid activist for the environment and absolutely just loved nature. And obviously growing up in South Africa, I was so lucky to be surrounded by incredible wildlife and beautiful national parks and natural scenery. And I've always had just such a great appreciation for how ecosystems work and how integrated animals are and the oceans and whatnot. I, I just was very involved as a child growing up and have also then been obviously very concerned about all the problems facing the environment and how us humans can have an impact, both positive and negative, and how we can really be almost agents of change in that space. And so I was very passionate about this. And so I ended up going to the University of Cape Town and did a degree in environmental and geographical science and economics. I told my parents I wanted to save the world and make money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a great combination. Nothing wrong with that. And they were like, well... Good luck with good luck with that. We back here, so um, that was great. And then ended up moving to Sydney to do a degree at the University of Sydney in business sustainability and strategy and innovation. Basically, while I was at Sydney Uni, there was this fantastic program that was put together called Inventing the Future, and it basically took people from completely different disciplines, shoved them in a group gave them a, a big world problem, basically taught us in terms of different thought processes of how to think of these different problems from like an engineering perspective, a business perspective, a science perspective, and a design perspective. And through that program, actually sparked the idea of Carapac. And I was putting in a team with someone from chemistry and agriculture, and I come from more of an environmental and business sort of space. And our challenge was the big, ugly plastic problem that's facing the world. And we really did a deep dive into like existing solutions and did an analysis in terms of why haven't they been adopted yet? You know, there are so many solutions out there and we didn't really understand why they haven't been used because it's a bit of a no-brainer for us. The plastic problem is really huge and it's got all of these adverse effects. And we found that although current biodegradables or recycling solutions exist and they are much better than plastic there was still a big gap in the market and we really wanted to do a deep dive into that and see if we could design a solution and I think I found uh, with Carapac and the technology we've developed here um, we can address each of those little downfalls that we've seen in various other models and we're really excited about pushing this forward. When you say what are the downfalls mm. and the other models? I mean when we did the deep dive into the plastic problem. There's basically, I think, of it, it like three different ways where you can actually really address it. You can either replace particularly single-use plastics with reusable options, which are fantastic, like reusable water bottles and whatnot. But they are almost limited to certain use purposes. So like at home, takeaway cups, containers and whatnot. And the plastic problem or the plastic use is so much bigger than that. And then you've got recycling solutions. And 
I, I feel like conceptually recycling is fantastic, but practically it doesn't really, it, it hasn't really been implemented that well. I mean, they've been recycling for the past 50 years and only really 9% of plastic has ever been recycled. And that's to do with faulty collections, contaminants, and it's, a, it's not necessarily a, a full cycle. You have to add virgin material after about four or five times. So it's not an infinite loop. You still have to add extra petroleum products into the market in order to actually create a full recycling model. Then there's the breakdown solution. And I think that's actually got a lot of promise in terms of if you're looking at you know, long supply chains and how, you know, as us as consumers actually end up with plastics in our hand, you know, it's not necessarily because we've got long supply chains, like farmers and products come from all over the world. The fact that we end up with a plastic wrapper in our hands and have to dispose of it on site, there is kind of limited solutions and we need in terms of disposal. I mean, only 1% of Australians really have access to composting bins. And even in, in terms of recycling and the throwaway stages of that, you know, there's only limited facilities on site in Australia. And across the world, I mean, even if you look in Africa, we don't necessarily have the facilities to deal with the waste that come from these global systems and long supply chains. I really thought when we were coming up with the concept for Carapac, you basically need a biodegradable solution that breaks down fast and easy, that's really practical when you need it to. And when looking at the current biodegradable and compostable solutions, we came across like almost a range of different types. And we really found that on average, though, they take about five years to actually break down, particularly the biodegradable ones. And they're not necessarily made from sustainable input materials. You can actually have a biodegradable plastic that is just made purely from petrochemical bases. So that just breaks, the biodegradable just means it breaks down into microplastics a lot quicker, which for me is terrifying because they, all of those biodegradable products and degradable products that I've come across are very much marketed as green. And the average consumer wouldn't even know the difference. You know, even an educated consumer that I've come across doesn't know the difference, really. And then you can get like plant-based um, biodegradable material, which are much better. And then composting and compostable side of things just means that those materials break down in certain conditions and are typically a lot faster than the average five-year breakdown. So, But even that is quite an intense process, um, the industrial composting. You need to collect a significant source of the, the compostable materials as well as other plant materials and microbiomes that go into these compost heat and on average, they take about 180 days and are heated to up to 100 degrees Celsius to actually break down and have very specific guidelines in order to be certified for that. I've actually been lucky enough to visit a few industrial composting sites as well and talking to the people with the experiences of, you know, handling compostable materials practically in these sort of facilities and you can see them going through each of the different steps and even at the end of the day the certified compostable materials you can pick up a full cup after that 180 days at up to 100 degrees celsius so it's not necessarily actually working within the system and those consumers don't have access to those bins you know even if you're looking at like takeaway containers and whatnot that and it, it is a lot like pla based 
takeaway containers and cellular space containers. They're fantastic and they are much better than traditional plastics. But when you're walking around with your little coffee cup or takeaway container, the best possible throwaway solution we have here in Australia is to go into landfill because we don't have composting bins readily and easily accessible. And yes, that infrastructure can be built. But I still think there's a huge gap in the market for a practical solution that anyone can throw away and just be rest assured that they're doing good and that it will break down and it's in the right ecosystem for that to do it. No, you're and right. even with yeah. sorry, if I'm I can sorry, interrupt, that yeah, is a look, it's good it's, when we don't talk. <laughs> yeah, I think the listeners enjoy it when we don't talk, if I'm honest. But yeah. uh, but it is interesting. And I remember, like at the Climate X conference, with a classic example, they had all these composting. They had all these single use cups that people were drinking water out of, which I which infuriated me. I, I think I was maybe one of only three or four people out of a conference of three or four hundred people that actually brought their own keep cup or keep bottle. But everyone was drinking water out of these, you know, single use compostable cups, but they're all going into landfill. So obviously, you know, that for me, that's just sort of like a greenwashing sort of exercise. But I'm, I know it is hard as well. Like I was in Sydney, if you're e- eating out or ordering takeaway, you, even with the best intentions, it actually is hard to avoid, you know, single-use plastic containers with, with your Uber Eats or whatever. I remember, Jeremy, you might remember uh, three or four years ago, you were looking at sort of, you know, environmentally friendly sort of plastic alternatives to package our kit in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So it's difficult very- and a lot more expensive, actually, when you're just buying sustainable alternatives or glass-based stuff. I don't know if you've done like Plastic Free July as a yeah. fun exercise, yeah. but um, I've done it myself a number of challenges. Uh, obviously, I'm very careful about how much plastic I use in my day-to-day anyway. But even challenging to go zero waste completely in the sort of system, and I've done it with a lot of my friends and asked them to track their general expenses, you know, just for that month. And each and every one of them had almost a 10% increase in expenses just trying to be plastic-free. And not necessarily everyone can afford that on the mm. day there. Yeah, it has to the, whatever solutions have to be simple and convenient, low cost or no cost. Well, it makes you, it makes you think. Well, just a question: Who is responsible for the Uber Eats? Is it the individual restaurants' responsibility for the waste, or is it Uber Eats as the actual facilitator of it? Yeah, it or, or the Uber producer Eats. of the plastic item in, in in its original form. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing, and, and product well, stewardship just, is a massive issue we could spend all day talking about as well. But fundamentally, we we kind of do need to come quickly to solutions. I'm actually interested in this group dynamic as well. Like I'm sure everyone on this call can has worked on a group, you know, high school or university assignment. And generally out of a group of three or four, one won't turn up. One probably won't be able to speak English or anything like that. And uh, it's left to just one person to do the work. I'm keen to understand the group dynamic that you were encountering, Kimberly. Like you actually had some people actually contributing, which is maybe a first. <laughs> yes it was a fantastic team that started this and we all like really very much on the same page and very passionate about this problem my two co-founders though they opted to go and pursue their phds whereas i decided to actually pursue carapac and you know carry on the legacy that we started all together so they're not necessarily on the team anymore but (laughs) it was just fantastic starting it with them and sharing that experience yeah 
Yeah. So let's go to the light bulb moment. You're you're sitting around a table. You're you're going, hey, I've done the research. There's a market. There's a gap here. How do we make an alternative to single use Glad Rack or whatever you want to call it? What was the next step? Because you went from there to shells of prawns and stuff. You must have gone through quite a few (laughs) quite a few iterations before we got there. Can you just tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah. So basically, we saw that there was this big gap for a material that needed to be made from a sustainable input. It needed to break down practically and quickly whenever you needed it to, but last for the entire timeline of the packaging conditions, you know. And we also really did see that, you know, there is actually a lot of value in packaging itself. And it's not necessarily the single-use nature of packaging that is a problem because it's really helpful in terms of storage and unitization, transporting, and even like in the food industry, you know, packaging itself can account for saving about 40% of food waste just from preventing that those products from being broken or even exposed to various microbes and whatnot. So we definitely wanted to go and build like a nice packaging in that space. And we wanted to create it from a sustainable input source. So we looked, we really did a deep dive into long chain carbon molecules that occur in the environment. So all the cellulose, all the sugars, all the starches that actually naturally occur or similar sort of molecules. And we're very lucky that we did actually have a chemist on our team, a chemistry student on our team, that actually helped us really boil down all of them. And then did quite a lot of testing with the research in terms of those different materials and a lot of research into what, how each of those different molecular structures could be really useful. And we came across this one molecular structure called chitin did a bunch of research into it and started experimenting with it. And we're like, hey, these are some fantastic results. And it is naturally occurring. And we did a deep dive in terms of, you know, where can we actually source it from? And crustacean shells have a huge proportion of their shells are actually made out of this molecule, chitin. And well, we're like, oh, that's great. But, you know, how do you actually source this? Because I have no interest in going to restaurants (laughs) and being like, please, can I have your scraps? Or like (laughs) Christmas Barbies being like, oh, can you just check us the shrimp shell for the thing, you know? (laughs) We actually found with a lot of fisheries and whatnot, basically what they do is they catch whatever they can, sell whatever they can fresh, and then de-shell and freeze that. And that's what you get in the frozen food section. So they actually have this beautiful, clean shell waste that is currently just going to landfill. And they're having to pay quite a lot of money to actually dump it in landfill and transport it there. So we found this fantastic resource and this fantastic money goal. And the more we started experimenting with it, but actually, to be honest, our first sample was made out of diet pills. <laughs> Diet pills. They actually use a lot of chitin and chitazan in diet pills. It doesn't really do anything for you, but it is like safe for humans to consume. And there was some some research in it, so you can actually buy diet pills. And we extracted out the chitazan from those right. diet pills and actually made our first little sample, which is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> but then we definitely went onto the more crustacean side of thing like going down the supply chain and using that waste source you know to actually create this product and the more research we did into the actual 
properties of what we could actually do with this film, like making sure it's clear, making sure it's strong. Um, we've even been able to make it like heat moldable, so you can actually and heat sealable, um, which is fantastic for actually forming the different types of packaging. That means we can actually run it through existing machines at like pack and seal the actual packaging in whatever process and whatnot. So when we did lots of research into that, we're like, this could actually work. And we're very excited about it. And another great benefit was just almost a happy coincidence is that the way that the molecule is structured and works when it's in the film is it makes it actually antimicrobial. So it can protect against a lot of bacteria and viruses naturally. So basically the bacteria and the viruses just don't like sticking on the film. So when we're doing trials with food products, they actually lasted longer in our fridge. And it basically the bacteria and whatnot, so you know if you've got like a bag of lettuce in your fridge and you leave it there for too long, so that's getting very stinky and shriveled and you can actually smell the bacteria and the methane kind of building up there. It actually prevents that um, and prevents the bacteria and viruses from interacting with the food. So you can actually extend the shelf life quite significantly. And then when you actually place the film in, in the soil, it biodegrades into a slow-release nitrogen fertilizer, which is phenomenal for plants. And um, so it actually adds a lot of value in that soil material and can protect against nematodes and various other diseases within the soil as well. So it's fantastic for plant growth. And uh, that was also a very fortuitous discovery when actually doing the deep dive into this material. Now, sure, there's, you know, it's your technology, but can you tell us a little bit about the process? So we, we get the shells from mm. the, the, the source. What do we do next? Can you share on any of your, your secrets or is that, you know, IP? And, <laughs> you know, that? I mean, it's just let it's us magic. know as much as you can. Yeah, so I can just give you almost a high level. Yeah, basically highlight the whole story about how, how we do this. We basically take the crustacean shell from the supply and then, well, actually initially we were just sourcing the already processed crustacean shells and actually just focusing on making the films along period of time but actually discovered that a lot of the people doing that overseas and processing the crustacean shells actually using very harmful chemicals and processes to actually do that and that obviously doesn't align with everything the company does one of our mottos from the start is making sure that we do good every step along the way to make it a like a really holistic and trustworthy solution so i actually ended up then trying to develop a sustainable chemical process to actually break down the crustacean shells into the different elements and managed to achieve that. So basically break down the shells and we have all these great byproducts. So we use every single part of the shell, so the protein and the calciums and the potassiums that you can actually extract from the shell and then sell those on as other valuable byproducts like fertilizers and just chemical um, materials as well. And then... We take the kydazan and we're able to process that into a range of different films. So we developed a flexible film and that can be used for any like almost, you know, scrunchable plastic alternative or any pouch or even a retail bag. And then we've got a semi-rigid material that can be used for, you know, punnets or takeaway containers or even boxes at a bigger scale, as well as a cling wrap, which is very 
And actually in a piece of as well, so we don't have to use any petroleum-based second materials to actually glue it all together, which is also really valuable. So we've developed a range of these different films and then and they come out on this beautiful roll and then you can send that through existing plastic machines that basically cut, shape and fold and mold this material into the relevant packaging. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Like, it's amazing. It, 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 it's blowing my mind. From every step, from what you've just told us, every step along the way, you're finding a really good way to, to use a waste product. So from the, the fishing or the fisheries that have got this waste product, it's costing them a lot of money to go and dump. Uh, you rock up to their door and go, hey, I want it. Um, so obviously they're going to save money from having to dump it. That obviously it doesn't have to go to landfill. They don't have to transport it. Well, you come along and say, Hey, great. I'll take this on. Then you're taking byproducts of that to, to obviously sell it, et cetera. You know, it's, it's just an amazing story, you know, for, for someone or a group of people to go, Hey, what's the problem? How can we actually fix it? But to have, it's, it's very unusual to have success after success after success after success. <laughs> and, um, it's one, one where you're sitting here going, well, Wow, where were you 10, 20 years ago? I mean, it's such an amazing story. Yeah, thank you. And one thing that I'm also really proud of with the product is, and that this was something that was kind of important to me because that was my personal pain point as a consumer because I've always believed in practical sustainability. Like I'm happy and I know I'm super passionate, so I can go whatever lengths and try and go zero waste and whatnot. But I know for everyday consumers and people who are really busy, it doesn't make sense. And if you are going to have a big impact, I feel like you need to have a practical, easy solution that everyone can use and trust and also find very cool. Like I feel like there has to be almost a novel element to it. And with our material, literally anyone can chuck it in a pot plant or a garden or even a home compost bin. And it literally takes three to six weeks and it completely breaks down and you can actually significantly see i've had like all of these pot plants and half i throw carrot pack in afterwards and half i don't you can see a dramatic difference in terms of the growth of those plants and how healthy they are which is quite cool and then also if you don't have access to a garden or a pot plant or compost bin because not a lot of people do especially in apartments you can also just chuck it in a bucket next to your sink it takes between 24 and 48 hours actually fully break down and then you can literally wash it down the drain and you can actually see that happen or flush it down the loose. We've designed the material to be water resistant so that like if it's on shelves or using it and it starts raining or there's like a cold drink in your shopping bag and, you, and it has some condensation, it'll still keep the structure and whatnot. So it is water resistant, but when you fully submerge it in the water, it actually will break down. And that's very specifically designed so that if it does end up in ocean environments, it'll break down and actually just act as food in those systems so like if fish and turtles nibble on it it's essentially like they're nibbling on a crustacean shell which is part of a natural ecosystem to summarize mm. so you're basically taking a waste product turning it into yeah. an alternative to single-use plastic ticks all the boxes in terms of functionality and strength and usability etc well after that product or, or item is used or consumed you can either put it in your compost bin put it in your garden or soak it in water and put, put it on your pot plant as fertilizer it just seems like it almost sounds too good to be true and it yeah, am- amazes me that you know of all the sort of you know petrochemical and other sort of industries and innovators and nobel prize winners or you know all potentially looking at this issue it's taken a motley 
you know, no offense, but a sort of a diverse group of eager university students with high intelligence, no doubt, and passion to actually come up with a solution. It is an amazing story. And I, and I guess the question needs to be asked from a conspiracy theory. <laughs> Why has no one thought about this beforehand? Well, to be honest, like even when you look do a deep dive into the science of it, we were initially looking at this material base. There's been research done on this from the 1950s. And it just hasn't really been adopted or funded necessarily. And I think in one of the initial barriers to entry is we had to do like a lot of research and development mm. to actually develop the film properties to be practical and make sure that it, yeah, it is functional. And really, we had to do a lot of R&D into making sure that we had the winning formula and knew how to manipulate the film so that it can be yeah, used for different use cases. And so that's the first barrier to entry. And then the second barrier of entry into like actually making globally adopted is actually scaling. And that's the challenge that I'm tackling on at the moment is really trying to scale this technology because it's a slightly different is that initial step to take it from the actual processed shell waste into the plastic films is fundamentally different to plastic and actually other biodegradable bases they um it's a slightly different technology but i've designed a process in-house that I, I believe we can actually really overcome that. And that is now my next big challenge. I've been working with some fantastic engineers and we're looking to build, I'm calling it instead of my minimum viable product, I'm calling it my minimum viable factory <laughs> to just basically prove the scalability of the, of the materials. And once that's built, we can actually do large scale trials and hopefully get this on shelf. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Couple of questions. How much raw waste does it take to produce one roll of cling wrap do you have any rough estimations is it a ton versus you know actually like a small bit goes a long way you can actually create basically like a strawberry panet or or like a, just a normal food takeaway in a tray from basically the shells of maybe one and a half pawns oh wow <laughs> so it's actually 
it's not as intensive and there is a huge amount of that crustacean shell waste so there's about eight million tons just produced around the asia pacific region so australia asia pacific produced every single year that's currently either being dumped in the ocean or dumped in landfill. And if we use all of that 8 million tons, we can replace half the total amount of plastic that flows into the oceans every single year. Yeah, see, that's where you've got me. That's brilliant. The other big hitting things that you need to lead with because, wow, um, <laughs> that blows my mind. So going back to the conspiracy theorist, Brad, <laughs> why, why, why is this not being done? Well, obviously, there's invested interest for petrochemical companies to keep on going. You know, so there'd be a big barrier there. Kimberly, next question, competition. I've noticed, I mean, we're obviously, we do podcasts. We were sort of in the industry, I guess. There's a company out there called Great Wrap. They're making it out of potato starch, I believe. They've just secured some pretty big funding, and that's all I know about them. What do you know about them? Is it similar? Is it the same? Give us your opinion. To be honest, I I really think, like, a lot of the solutions that are coming out now, and a lot from like independents to startups and entrepreneurs, I think are really fantastic. And I think, you know, the plastic problem is so huge and every new material has a different set of packaging properties, basically. So I know for sure that my product could not be, for example, like a takeaway cup because of the moisture barrier properties, but that's in design. But there's so much else I can do with my material and whatnot. So when I look at companies like Great Wrap and there's a fantastic company, Ulu, that's also come out of Australia and they just close a big funding round. I just think that it's like a great opportunity because I think the more adoption of these sort of products across the board that are actually doing good and are at a level up instead of just you know, the degradable plastic that's made from petrochemicals, the better for everyone, you know. So I think of it as almost like an ecosystem, but I'm not, uh, yeah, there are obviously competition and I think what they're doing is amazing, um, but there are a few benefits that Carapac can do that there's can't. So for example, basically great wrap is made from potato starch. So number one, it's not being made from a waste source, whereas Carapac is. And um, they're having to grow potatoes to actually create the plastic. Whereas Carapac, we're just using the waste and there's so much waste out there that we can use. And then number two, we have the extension of shelf life properties that can really add so much benefit, particularly in the food packaging space. And we can save retailers and consumers millions of dollars in terms of that food waste and eliminate up to a million tons of greenhouse gas emissions every year just from that mitigation of that food waste. Then the actual breakdown and the throwaway process is so much easier. So from my understanding of Great Rack, it is home compostable, but only 1% of Australians have home compost bins. So it's not necessarily as accessible, that breakdown process. I think their product is really great and it is a huge step up from traditional king wraps and pallet wraps and their pallet wrap properties are amazing so kudos to them love the innovation but there are a few differences and a few different spaces that our different products and film materials 
can actually go into in terms of solving the big problem. They're potentially competitors, but more I'd like to think of them more as collaborators. And yeah. certainly, certainly, I think both options are, are probably miles better than our current petrochemical uh, usage of plastics. But it sounds amazing. And I've obviously, when I was at the uh, Climate X Summit, I saw the, the the prototypes, the samples, it, and it is amazing. Like you look at it and go, you're kidding me, this is made from crustacean cells. It's like you said, the, the punter or container, there's the cling wrap, the bag, the like the shopping bag type thing. But where are you guys at? Like in terms of, are you taking over the world uh, next year or are you sort of still, you know, tinkering at the edges and trying to sort of just get past the prototype stage? Or And obviously all this costs money and I'm guessing, you know, you've done a whole bunch of research and development already, um, but you've got to keep the lights on and you need money to sort of, I guess, take this forward. So I guess where are you guys at logistically and I guess financially? Yes. So... As I mentioned earlier, like the next big problem for us is scale. And basically, my focus over the past six months has really been trying to design this minimum viable factory, which will basically be a step up and allow us to actually go into commercial sales and commercial trials and also make sure that our technology works at that scale. But I've basically, the past six months, have been dummy testing that in-house and various test rates. And so very confident with the designs now and um, just waiting on the final designs with the engineers to actually set this up, which is very exciting. So next year, early next year, I'm planning on doing a fundraise in order to actually get money to set up this minimum viable factory that will just serve as a model factory and and get it on on shelves, start training with customers, and then the plan is to go big <laughs> and do a massive Absolutely. Of course that. go big. <laughs> go and big then, or go home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then go global instead of a much bigger manufacturing facility after that. That's so cool. Cool. Both Brad and I will be there for that funding round and chip and look whatever we've got lying around. <laughs> is there, and, and, the, and I'm only asking questions to promote this, so I'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. but no. is there IP around your technology? Um, is this something that, you know, you can get IP on? Yes, yes. So we're in the process of filing two patents on the technology and the process, and we're also in the process of getting it certified compostable as well. That's very exciting. I mean, the, the world of patents, as as most of well, everyone knows, is, is quite a, a difficult and, and rigorous sort of a process to go through. Where do you see your biggest challenge is going to be? Is it, you said something before, that you have to go through an approval process. Who's approving this product over traditional petrochemicals? I mean, wouldn't it just be an easy sell? Like, hey, this is made out of crustaceans, use it. Yeah, I mean, so basically a lot of the, uh, so my product is really targeting food, fresh food packaging because we can really deliver a lot of value there. That's our first entry into market. Although our material can be used for a range of different applications and we've had so much industry interest from various different industries, but fresh food packaging is, I think, where we can really deliver a lot of impact and be a great first market and offer a lot of other cost savings and whatnot. And we can be a bit of a bespoke packaging in that space. So we need approval from retailers and we're working with farmers who are very happy to actually adopt this and use that in their processes. And they actually like pack houses are the key buyers of it, but retailers are the, the main powerhouse behind packaging decisions within that market. But have had quite a bit of interest, but it's 
almost a chicken and egg in terms of the approval, but we need the scale to be improved, but we need the approval to be scaled. But we've made quite a lot of progress. Yeah, if you invest early, the, the returns are better, aren't they, basically? So exactly. when, you, when your crowdfunding campaign begins, it's advantageous to get in early. Is that that's what yes. I'm hearing? Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the reason why we spent quite a bit of time doing a lot of the research and development is to kind of foolproof and make sure we've done all the in-house tests to make sure it meets every single composting, food safety, even like production space sort of requirement necessary. And we've tried to test all of that out before spending a lot of money and getting the certifications just to basically foolproof that. And then, so when we're scaling, we can, I'm very confident that this model now will work because we basically tested all of that in-house and with consumers taking us forward. I'm watching you speak. You're very smiley, happy, passionate. You've got a great solution potentially, but it's obviously, it's a hard slog, I'm guessing. So I'm guessing you've spent the last three or four years living and breathing, refining, tweaking, researching, all that stuff yeah. that doesn't generate you any revenue, but meanwhile, you've still got to live and develop this thing and, and invest, et cetera. Really and I guess- yeah, like from a another, like I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people listening in who who envy you and also want to do what you're doing in terms of develop and implement a startup uh, innovation to potentially solve or help solve one of our greatest challenges. Can you speak to those challenges around that process? Like a hard slog financially, emotionally. I'm sure there's many ups and many, 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 many downs. <laughs> Yes, it depends what week you catch me at. I always tell my <laughs> friends because, like, some weeks I'm like, "This is the best job ever," and then uh, yeah, some yeah, weeks I'm like, "Why am I doing this to myself?" You know. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I really believe in what I'm doing, and obviously derive a lot of purpose from it. And up until this point, they have been—I mean, we have had a lot of iterations with the company and various plans did not go according to plan because of COVID and lockdowns and us not being able to access any facilities, do various tests and set up scaling and whatnot. So we've had um, had many knockback, but I've also been really lucky and worked hard to actually create lots of various other opportunities and have been supported by a lot of grants and have won quite a few pitch prizes and put ourselves out there and that's actually supported our funding journey up until this point so been very lucky but also have created opportunities to get that sort of funding so to other founders or aspiring founders just put yourself out there and pitch as much as you can and there's so many opportunities within the startup ecosystem and it's a very supportive startup ecosystem, particularly here in Australia, which has been really great. But yeah, going forward, I am, I am commencing a, a big seed round in order to actually fund this, this, uh, this manufacturing facility, which is also a very exciting challenge going ahead. Okay. Dibby down a question for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, we agricultural runoff and specifically nitrogen runoff is a big problem throughout, mm. you know, many countries. Say, for instance, this goes global, goes great guns, we all start putting heaps of nitrogen into our gardens. Have you done or put any thought into, well, what happens if we put too much nitrogen? Because we at Ocean Protect, we develop products that take nitrogen out of stormwater. So could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, so in terms of the actual material, it's actually a very low level of nitrogen. It's a slow release in the soil. So basically, the way that the material actually breaks down 
creates initially almost like a gel around the plants and whatnot. It's particularly good in, in drier countries rather, and it actually creates a, a beautiful, almost uh, like a nutrient level, a nutrient pocket for the plant roots as well as the actual worms and whatnot. And we've actually had quite a few other university students in the soil sciences area do tests on it. And it's worm say it has nitrogen in it, but it just delivers it to the plant at a very slow release. So it's not like excessive nitrogen runoff and it, it's a much better than and a, a lot of farmers put down like a lot of ammonia and other nitrogen things on the top of the soil where this is slowly releases into the roots where it's most valuable um, and it is a very low level but actually just provides a really optimal level of nitrogen to those plants and ecosystems in the soil. Yeah, that's cool. I'll add a couple of other water quality bits yeah. and bobs. I think that's great to hear the slow release for uh, fertilizer more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other points. Number one, I'd far prefer to have nitrogen leaching into my waterways than plastic, number one. Number two, one of the reasons why nitrogen is a big problem with urban environments is because, and there's a lot of nitrogen in, in, in our atmosphere, and when rain falls, it brings a lot of that nitrogen down to the ground level. And if it hits impervious surfaces like uh, car parks, roads, etc., it'll wash often directly into our waterways, and that's the problem. What uh, Kimberley is proposing is basically putting that into a soil environment, which certainly helps to sort of significantly reduce the the leaching of that nitrogen. Obviously, nitrogen is actually a good thing for plants. So if we can uh, augment you know, plant growth and, and and thriving, fantastic. I see the water quality issue as being a very, very minor uh, concern for more or less those, uh, I guess, three key reasons, including uh, Kimberley. So that's a real positive. But yeah, good question though. I just am just in love with the process. I mean, you go to Woolies or Coles and Right now, obviously, nothing's wrapped in plastic because of the, the great work for the plastic bands, etc. But, you know, if you are going to get fruit or vegetables, um, and if they were wrapped in, you know, this type of product, then from a hygiene point of view, you know, like Brad's got dirty hands. He goes and puts his hands all over the bananas and he doesn't want them or the, or whatever, the apples or whatever. There is a hygiene issue there, which obviously by the sounds of this product, it takes it away. Then you go home, you take that wrapper off, you enjoy your beautiful bit of fruit or vegetables or whatever, and then you put that product out your garden, which makes your stuff grow better and far. I mean, it's it's, it's a great, yeah. it's a most amazing. It's probably the most amazing closed loop story I've heard in a long time. You're really covering off everything. There's no oh, but this happens or but that happens. Every step along the way, which is obviously a conscious decision by yourself and and your company. It's really ticking all these boxes. So, I mean, take my hat off to you from, mm. you know, the bottom of my heart. I mean, it's, this is one of the exciting things about what we do. Um, you know, Ocean Protect, we get to jump on this podcast. We get to talk to people. But over the last few years, the more and more people that we're speaking to are coming up with these great ideas and are out there actively trying to get, get it into market. And I love what you said at the very start of this. I want to save the planet and make some money. And that's okay. The only way we're going to save the planet is through capitalism, 100%. If you'd said that 10 years ago, you know, people would probably not be that happy with you, you know, because it was all about save the planet. It's, you know, capitalism's crap. Well, look, it's not the best thing, but that's our system that we've got and we're not going to break capitalism. Um, certainly not in our next few lifetimes. It's just, it ain't going to happen. So working with the current system is what you're doing and saving the planet and hopefully making a ton of money, which you can go on to use other things or invent other things. It's just an absolute winner, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, no, thank you so much. And um, yeah, I mean, that, 
I'm an economist really. So that's always been a really key focus. And I don't think I've actually really touched on the economics of it, but basically we did like some modeling in terms of plastic, the plastic and how cheap it is. And you know, there's that saying like cheaper than dirt or dirt cheap. They actually modeled plastic and plastic is cheaper than dirt. (laughs) So it's actually like insane how cheap plastic is as a material. And that's obviously been why it's been so widely adopted that along with its actual material properties and whatnot. But when looking at the actual biodegradable, compostable and recycling market, I mean, even if you look at the recycled options, a lot of the issues with that is they don't necessarily have as much. It depends on the specific type of plastic. But I mean, even red cycle now has recently closed down. And one of the main reasons they've cited is they don't have enough end use demand whatever they can actually make out of that material. So, and it's just a lot more expensive. Whereas also looking at like the other alternatives on the market, basically if you keep normal traditional plastics on average as like one, like cardboard is coming in about five to six times the price of traditional plastic. And then depending on the exact type, your biodegradables and compostables are coming in about four to six times the price of traditional plastics. So slightly cheaper than cardboard. And then Carapac, based on our models in terms of how we can scale and whatnot, and the business model, we're coming in about three times. And if you factor in the cost savings of food um, from that extension of shelf life, can effectively come to about 1.8 to 2 times the price of traditional plastics. That's really impressive. I just Googled then, because um, that was going to be my next question, Kimberly, mm. but you go on to Woolworths for 150 metres of Glad Wrap will cost you $10.50. So just to take it out, so the equivalent product would be 30 bucks from you or yeah. there or thereabouts. You know what? People would pay that in a jiffy. You know, mm. if you knew that this was 100%, you know, um, biodegradable, yeah. et cetera, people would pay it. I mean, Glad Wrap's bloody brilliant. It works, you know, like yeah. the, the actual concept of it, it's work. You can wrap your semis up or anything in it. You it's can wrap so your food handy. Up. It's so handy. And we're going through this process and you see turtles eating Glad Wrap as if they're jellyfish. And then you can take that out and use that same adverb, but it's using your product and it's quite good for the turtle. It's an amazing feel-good thing. And I mean, you look at um, Brad and, and, and the vegan movement. People go out and spend a lot of money. Brad's probably got his vegan shoes on. You know, people, you know what I mean? People wanting to do the right thing will pay that money. We drop cash yeah. like it's hot, Jeremy. You know it. Yeah. And look, <laughs> and, and also, like, I, I'm, I'm super impressed by that cost thing. That, that was, that was my next question as well, Jeremy. Yeah. So you beat yeah. me to it, but that is amazing. But I also think there may not, in the not too distant future, I'm hoping there may not be actually a choice to choose the, the petrochemical option. Mm-hmm. We are yeah. seeing a progressive ban of single use plastics. And ultimately, I think the another reason we haven't seen as, as, as extensive a ban as we would like, I guess, all on this, on this yeah. call is because there's just no, what has been no other option relative, you know, cling wrap. Yeah. I cling wrap's great. No one doubts it. But if we can't use it, we've got nothing. So, but yeah. if we if we've got this Carapac solution or some other sort of potato skin solution or something else, the door opens to more progressive ban on the single use petrochemical plastics. Hundred percent. One hundred percent. And I know a lot of countries are actually also looking at putting in place almost an effective plastic tax that takes into account Mm. the actual full cost of actually using plastic because I mean the way the pricing system works is that it hasn't actually been factored in and like a lot of councils and government and even like other people and marinas and whatnot are actually bearing the cost of Mm. that plastic waste and that's actually not being factored in into the initial 
buying equation. So a lot of countries that are putting in place that that tax or plastic tax will make it effectively more expensive than what Carapax putting in place and Carapax would be like a more premium product. Mm. And I really just want to make a product that everyone can just back, feel happy and comfortable and it's super easy. Like no real thought process into it and just be like they can feel confident with their purchasing decisions by using Carapac. Well, this has been mm-hmm. a hell of a chat. I feel as though we, ne- we could talk to you all day, and I say this every time as Jeremy knows, but we probably do need to get, let you get back to it. If people <laughs> are keen to know more about it, shameless plug, uh, Carapac, that's C-A-R-A-P-A-C dot co, Carapac dot co. I'm sure Kimberly would be l- more than happy to talk to any potential investors in particular. I th- yes, I'm, I'm excited please. for that uh, <laughs> the seed funding. I- I'd like to get an invite to the uh, seed funding yeah, uh, campaign. So would I. Jeremy, Jeremy's going to be coming in with a checkbook um but uh, look it's been it has been a really interesting chat it's it's i think it's a great way to finish our i should protect podcast season on such a real positive note you know we know there's a lot of issues facing our oceans but to talk about these really potentially amazing solutions developed by a, a young entrepreneur like yourself it's so it's been a real privilege and, and real heartwarming to talk to you today so on behalf of all the f- future marine species on the planet and uh, everyone else thank you so much for all your hard work and I look forward to uh, the investment campaign and uh, seeing what you can <laughs> achieve in the not too distant future well thank you so much and thank you so much for having me on board and on your amazing platform it's been such a pleasure there is hope the whole reason we did this podcast is to go out and talk about solutions that we can find to help that help our ocean and here's one which has just smacked it out of the park so what a great way to end 2022 so thank you for coming on our we show beautiful thank you so much no worries all the best kimberly boom boom shake the room i don't know why we say that but we do That's the end of the Ocean Protect podcast season number four. Can you believe it? So, Bradley, how many in, in the last four years, how many episodes have we done? I mean, I, I just, I can't remember. <laughs> we have done 143 episodes. Can you believe that? 22 this year alone. And look, wow. we're, it's a real privilege, obviously, as we know, like people listen to us bizarrely uh, and we get people listening from all over the planet. It's amazing. Uh, so it's so exciting. Who's been your favourite this year? I mean, I, I honestly reckon Kimberly, our last one was my favourite, but that's I, just I, it's, I fresh, agree. it's fresh off my memory, but sorry. <laughs> well, because when, when we came up with this, mate, we, you know, as it says in the promo, the solutions and what you can do about it, this lady has gone out and certainly doing it, came up with a, a great way to sustainably take plastics out of out of the well, ocean system, whatever. I don't know. That was the most inspiring to me. Uh, what about you, buddy? Amazing. Yeah, look, I agree. Bunch of university students tackling one of the world's biggest problems and coming up with a really viable solution that could potentially make them a gazillion dollars out of it. I think that's a real positive. Has to be said, um, Craig Fairbaugh's episode, yeah, uh, yeah, Stormwater Rockstar, was a standout. Um, yeah, but uh, look, it's like having kids. You don't have a favourite, but you secretly do. But uh, they're, they're probably two that stand out. But look, I think I think we need to spend some thank yous. So oh, obviously, thanks to our amazing guests. Well, I often tell people it's like a scam doing a, a podcast like this. We get to talk to the, the most, some of the most interesting, groovy, groovyest people on the planet really 
doing their best to help protect our oceans and waterways. And and this show doesn't exist without them, that's for sure. So big thank you to all our amazing guests. A very, very special thank you to our podcast production team, the pro podcast productions legends, uh, particularly Darcy, Milne, Phil Horn, and Maddie Hodder. You guys are superstars. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> Jeremy, Thanks, Jeremy, Jeremy Tender, look. right? <laughs> what do you mean, look? No one can see you, Brad. <laughs> and um, obviously, big thanks to ACAST. You know, we load our, our uh, podcast episodes on ACAST and they just distribute it across the planet. So makes our job a lot easier. And I, I, we should put a, uh, a shout out. We will be coming back uh, next year. If you've got, uh, for our listeners, if you've got any suggestions for guests for 2023, uh, please just drop us a line. Uh, just head to oceanprotect.com.au and drop us a line or chase us down on the social medias and uh but obviously we need to uh say a very special thank you to our amazing listeners you know the people that uh, give us their earbuds every week or every so often uh it's a real privilege and we don't take it for granted by any stretch of the imagination and last but not least we should uh big shout out to uh, jeremy brown esquire it's been a pleasure mate it is, it's, it's been lovely speaking to you as much <laughs> as we do um but gee, this season i you know this is our fourth season doing it I guess the first few seasons were about getting the stories out. I mean, I, I, mm. I felt it was a bit more doom and gloom in the first few mm. seasons. But now, I mean, for you, you know, this is the end of our fourth year. I really feel as if there's some momentum. And, and obviously, mm. just with our last chat with Kimberly, there's more and more people coming up with solutions. And, you know, as you have said, it's just such a wonderful position that we're in that we get to talk to these people and we get to learn ourselves. And then for the people listening out there all around the world that, um, that put up with us, but get to, to listen to the really smart people, you know, thank you from the bottom of our heart because that was our aim with this. And, um, you know, I think we can safely say that we're taking, uh, Ocean Protect, uh, to the world and anyone that wants to listen to it. So thank you very much to all our listeners. And thank you, Brad. Brad does everything. Basically, I just rock <laughs> up. He does everything. I rock up. He does all the intros and, and sends out all the emails. So thank you, Brad, uh, from the bottom of my heart. It's a privilege. And we don't say that flippantly. It genuinely is a privilege to do this show, and it's a wonderful opportunity, and uh, I hope we make the best of everyone's time and energy. And and uh, looking forward to uh, Season 5. And last but not least, I wish, just wish everyone a happy Christmas and uh, a super new year and look forward to uh, seeing everyone or hearing everyone early next year. We'll come back in March and and, and drop truth bombs and, and uh, have a blast doing it. Boom, boom. Shake the room. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.